0: Genesis chapter 1, I want to begin reading verse number 24, and uh, read down through the, uh, the end of the chapter. This is what we call the sixth day of creation week, uh, what God did on the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the, which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter 1 in your Bibles. This morning, I want to address, begin addressing uh, the subject of family. And uh, we're going to do that by looking at the first family that God created as God instituted family life and established the home. Uh, we know that, that the family is under attack uh, in our culture, in, in our society, but the best antidote to that is not to curse the darkness, but to light a candle. And uh, every Christian family needs to be a candle in front of a, a world that is confused about what family is. Uh, and our families, our lives, ought to be a light that shines and shows the reality, the blessing of uh, following God's word. And uh, in a world of struggles, uh, our, our families can be a, a tremendous blessing to our, uh, to our culture. So this morning, I'm going to begin uh, laying a little bit of a foundation. And on the upcoming Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at the first family. We're going to look at what God did with Adam and Eve and the kids. And see how God established the family. We talked last week about first principles. First principles are going back to the first time something is mentioned in the Bible and looking at that first mention of a, of a, a theme or, or something that God introduces into the, into the, the scriptures. And, and that first mention will oftentimes give us important insight into what God's plan and purpose is in that theme or, or whatever it is that God is introducing. And so last week we went back to the first church service after Jesus physically left the earth to see what the first church did in the absence of Jesus Christ physically. Because we live in the absence of Jesus Christ physically here at CBC. And so we can look at the first principles of that first service And we can learn some things. And we we were looking at that last week. We're going to finish that message this evening, the evening service. Finish looking at that first church experience after Jesus physically left. This morning, the second subject I wanted to address, the first church service, and then the first family. and, And look at the first mention of God establishing family life, God creating family. And going back to the very first family that God created looking at that first introduction into humanity of family and learning from God what God intended and how God set things up and learn from the first principles of the first family. And certainly if we live out the biblical family as God ordained, our families can be a a light in a confused world. And so we want to We want to spend some time looking at, and the the bluff in the message this morning uh, is let's just trust God's foundation for our home. Let's trust God's foundation. God got it right with Adam and Eve and the kids, and the instructions he gave when he established family were right, good, and holy, and we can learn things and trust that foundation for our homes uh, even today. So we'll be spending a few weeks examining this first family. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, whenever I uh, speak on the subject of the family, uh, I realize that, uh, that it has the potential of being a blessing to some people, uh, providing instruction and challenge to some people, but I realize that it also has the potential of stirring up... Uh, Wounds, stirring up old memories and opening up wounds. Because I know there are a lot of different uh, various family models represented in our church, like in any church. Not only is there the family as God established it, that we'll be studying, but there are also families that have been broken by different things. And, and, And so to speak of the family from God's original design... Has the potential of of being difficult for some. Um, there are families that have lost uh, one of the the spouses, and and a single parent is raising children alone, and and it's difficult. There are families that have been broken by divorce, and 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 just a a lot of baggage that comes with speaking about the family, and and I want you to know that if if you're not able to have a family patterned after the family God established, that it is, it is not my desire to uh, stir up old wounds or to be painful to you in memory. But it is my desire to be able to help all of us understand and know God's ideals. Because our world desperately needs to be able to understand what God's design Of family is and they best learn that from people who are living that out the best they can in the situation they're in and I'm also so grateful for grace that we have just heard a special song sung about because the grace of God in our lives means that no matter what the situation we find ourselves in God's grace is sufficient to help us in that time of struggle and difficulty God's grace is real it's powerful, it's potent, and it can help us in even uh, situations that aren't, uh, aren't ideal. Now with that disclaimer, let me ask the question, how's your family life as you're experiencing it right now? Uh, is your home a little bit of heaven on earth? Is your home relationship something that brings you great joy? And great, uh, great peace of God in your lives. Is your family life the closest thing to heaven that you can find on planet earth? It can be. God desires it to be. And in this first family, we learn some powerful first principle truths that enable us to understand what God had in mind when he established the family. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 records for us the creation of all things that God did. Chapter 1 is an abbreviation overview of God's creation on the six creation days. And chapter 1 ends with God. Noting that all that he had done was very good. Verse number 31. God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. So chapter 1 gives us the overview of all of creation that occurred in those six days. Chapter 2 backs up and zooms in on some of the particular things that were accomplished in God's creation as he created all things and gives us some details and some more information about what he did that expands our understanding beyond the overview of chapter number 1. In chapter number 1, over and over and over again, God said, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And finally, at the end, he said it was very good. But when we get into chapter 2 and begin to read the details, we find out that there was something that wasn't so great. And we find that in chapter 2 verse number 18 where the Bible says the Lord God said it is not good that man should be alone. The only thing in creation week that wasn't good was the fact that man was alone. God said that's not good. And so God created family in order to be able to address the only good the only thing in creation that wasn't good and that was in his His creation of man. Man was without a partner and he was alone. Now in chapter 1, we have the, the overview picture. The Bible says in verse number 26, God said, let us make man in our image. By the way, for you theologians out there, you'll notice the Bible says, and God said, let us. Us speaks of more than one, right? Who is God talking to? God's talking to God. God said, let us. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Here's the first hint that there's plurality in the singular God that exists. The one God that exists, exists in a plurality of persons. We don't understand that until we get well through the Bible where we learn that there's A person we know of as God the Father, there's a person we know of as God the Son, and there's a person we know of as God the Holy Spirit, and they're three different people. And yet together they're united in a unity, so tightly, so together, that they're actually one God. And so here's God talking to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a conference together. One of them said, hey, let's make man in our image, after our likeness, and he did. So God created Adam in the image of God, and we're different than the animals. We're different than anything else God created, for only in humanity did God create a living entity in the image and likeness to God he created us with a mental with a uh, like as a conscience he created us with a with a um with a moral likeness see he, he created us such that we resembled him we were like him and so God created man in verse number 27, the Bible says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. He created two genders. He created humanity as male and female. And that was associated with the responsibility in verse number 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it. God created humanity with two genders. Those genders were related to their ability to reproduce children. And God in his design created humanity. In his own image, he created them as male and female. So that they would be able to reproduce and create the human population. Well, this was God's plan. God uh, gave them instructions. God told the, the team of Adam and Eve, humanity that he created. He gave them instructions to have dominion over everything else he created. To subdue all the rest of his creation. To bring all of his creation under the power and control and use of humanity. Humanity will subdue and have dominion and use the creation of God for his own benefit and development as humanity on planet Earth. This is the big overview picture of what God did. But then in the details, when you get into the details of chapter 2, we find out that God created man before he created woman. And there was a time in which when he created Adam... Adam was alone, and that wasn't good. And so God paraded before Adam all of the animals that God had created, and Adam gave names for all of the animals. But Adam recognized in the, God's creation of all of the animal kingdom, there were pears. There were Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. There was Mr. and Mrs. Bunny Rabbit. And Adam realized there was nothing in the created world that was like him, that he could be heart to heart in a relationship with. And God looked down and said, This is not good that man should be alone. And so, God, after he had prayed to the animals before Adam and he had named them all, God put Adam to sleep, performed the first operation on a human being and God verse number 20 ends by saying but for man there was not an help meet for man. Now understand that the, the that terminology the word meet we used to use as the word fit, fitting. There was not a help that fit. There was not a help that met the needs of. And so God Said, man is alone and it's not good. And so God was going to make a help that would be fitting to Adam's needs. And God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Verse 21 tells us he slept. God took one of his ribs and God made Eve out of the rib of man. God made man out of dirt. He, he scooped up some dirt, he fashioned it into a clay dummy. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. But he didn't make Eve out of dirt. He made Eve out of a living substance. He made Eve out of a part of Adam's body. Some have likened them to the dirt balls and the boneheads. Adam made out of dirt and Eve made out of a bone. The reality is man was made out of something that doesn't have feeling. Eve was made out of something that has feeling, that has life, that's alive. Some have speculated, although the Bible doesn't state that, that that might be the first hint as to why women have a greater intuition than men have. Men were made out of a lifeless scoop of dirt. But women were made out of something that's alive. And women do have many times a greater sense of intuition. Are on a different emotional plane than man. Adam didn't need another man. He didn't need another person like him. He needed a helper that would fit what he was lacking. That would fit what he didn't have. That would fit the needs of his life. So God created Eve. God created Eve out of a bone. In the side of man. He didn't make Eve. Out of man's heel bone. Where he could stamp on her. And grind her into the dirt. And it's a horrendous thing. When a man takes advantage of a woman. It's a horrendous thing. When a man Puts a woman down. He didn't make Eve out of the skull of Adam. Where she would control him and dictate to him. She created Eve out of a rib. Under his arm where he could protect her. Near his heart where he could cherish her. Serve her. Meet her every need in life. God created Adam and Eve differently, at different times, out of different substances, for different purposes, because he created them to be one completion rather than two entities that are apart. He created them for a purpose. And the purpose goes back to the aloneness of man, and his need for a partner in life, created by God to fit him to meet the needs of his life, and so God created Adam and Eve. The story of creation ends with uh, with Adam and Eve together, and God said, "Everything is very good." Actually, the very good came after He had created both. Right. I kind of played on the fact that God created everything and it was very good, but there was one thing that wasn't good. The very good at the end of chapter 1 was the end of the umbrella after man and wife had both been created. In the details, it was not good the time that Adam was alone. Now I want you to come with me to chapter 2 and then look a little bit further down after this creation of Eve from the rib Verse number 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, that's, this is interesting to me because neither Adam or Eve had a mother or a father, so the statement in verse number 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. Neither of them had a mother or a father. And yet God says that a man is to leave his father and his mother. Which indicates to me that this is not a verse about Adam and Eve alone. This is a foundational first principle statement by God of what family is and how family operates and what 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 God's design and purpose for a family is in its unity around God's purpose and so we have this great statement a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You realize that statement is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in the Gospel of Matthew 19, Mark 10 and it's quoted in Ephesians 5. This foundational statement is a first principle statement that lays out God's plan for all of the future of humanity as to how a family is to to. to be together and the characteristics of that family that make it strong. And I want to notice three statements, three keys rather in this statement that, that God laid down as foundational keys to a family. And the first one is therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. I, we, we think of this as a broken dependence. You must leave. There must be a broken dependence on the previous generation. A man must leave his father and his mother. Now it's interesting to me that this was not directed to Eve. He didn't say, Eve, you leave your dad and your mom. Why did God address that specifically to the man? I've pondered that over the years. Why did God not say to... The woman, that she's to leave her father and mother. Why did God direct it to the man? You leave your father and mother. And the only thing that's ever made sense to me is that everything about a a marriage, everything about a wedding, the beginning of a marriage, illustrates and articulates that the woman has left her father and her mother. So what do you mean by that? Well, it's the father of the bride that escorts his daughter down the aisle. When the father of the bride escorts his daughter down the aisle and comes to the end of the aisle, someone will ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father of the bride will say, I do. Or he may say, her mother and I do. And, and there, is a, there is a release of a daughter at the end of a wedding aisle, marriage aisle. And, and, then, and then the position of the, of the bride is no longer under her dad. Her position is under the headship of her husband. He is not there now, the dad is not there now to protect her. Her husband is there to protect her. Her dad is not there to provide for her. Her husband is there to provide for her. Her father and mother have given her to the headship of her husband, and he will take the responsibilities that her dad has always had in protecting and providing for that young lady. Her name changes. She's always been known by her dad's name. Betty was always known as Betty, daughter of Strachan. At the end of the marriage aisle, her dad gave her to me, and she became Betty, daughter of Aylstock. And from that day to this, she's known as Betty Aylstock. Her name changes because in marriage... Her dad and mom gave her away to the headship of a different man. And so everything about, and and she she goes, she came, she didn't go back home to her mom and dad's house that night. Uh, From that day to this, she she didn't go back home to them. She came to my home. And, And from that day forward, the relationship between her and her parents was changed. Everything about a wedding demonstrates that. However, it does not demonstrate the responsibility of the man to also break his dependence on his dad and mom. And the only thing that's ever made sense to me as to why God directed this to the man and not the woman is that it's not a given that the man is going to do that. In the biblical culture, he would take his bride and they would go back to the father's house. And during the one-year betrothal period, between when they became betrothed or similar to our engagement, to the day that the wedding actually took place, he built a house for her. It was often attached to his father's house. And he built an extension uh, you, you can go up to Pennsylvania in the Amish area, and you can find, you can look at homes where it looks like they had this house, then they built a smaller house beside it, and then they built a smaller house beside that. And they talk about that as a three-generation home. The one who works the farm lives in the big house with all of his kids. But then when his kids get married and one of them take over the farm the mom and dad move into the smaller house because they don't have all the kids anymore. They don't need as big a house. And then, when that happens in another generation, they move into the grandparents' smaller house. And that, is, that was, has been typical in cultures. A, a man doesn't physically leave his parents. He'll often work in the family business, carry on the family uh, farm, carry on the family Work that has been done by his father and his grandfather before that. And, and it's not a given in marriage that a man leaves. And to my understanding, that's why God directs this, although it's not stated that. Seems to me that's why God made the reference specifically to the man or directly to the man. You are to leave your father and your mother. Now, the rest of the Bible tells us there's some things we never leave regarding our parents. We never leave off honoring our parents. We never leave off loving our parents. We never leave off caring for our parents financially. There are many, and and, and other ways as well, there are many, through the rest of the Bible, the Bible addresses the the role of a son to take care of his parents. Uh, and, And there's that, Uh, That responsibility that that we never leave. So what do we leave? We leave the dependence. The man leaves. There's a broken dependency upon his dad and his mom. Financial dependence, material dependence, emotional dependence. There's a breaking away from a dependence on the parents' generation. The parents themselves, rather. And, and I, I've got to make my own way now. Uh, some guy said to his wife, says, uh, you don't cook like my mom. And she looked back at him she says, and you don't bring home dough like my dad. A new family breaks a tie and a dependency. If we have to live in pork and beans and, and hot dogs while my mom and dad eat steak, so be it. They're not going to buy me steak. All I can buy is beans and hot dogs, and my family will live in beans and hot dogs because I broke the dependency upon my parents to provide for me. I've got to stand on my own two feet. We've got to live according to what I can provide. There's a broken dependency. You remember that old American folk song, Billy Boy? This kind of flips it around, and it's, it's addressed to the woman, but it's, it's, it was kind of a cute old American folk song. It went like this. I, w- I won't sing it to you, but it went like this. Oh, where have you been, Billy boy, Billy boy? Oh, where have you been, Charming Billy? I've been to seek a wife. She's the joy of my life. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Did she ask you to come in, Billy boy, Billy boy? Did she ask you to come in, Charming Billy? Yes, she asked me to come in. There's a dimple on her chin. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. Can she make a cherry pie, billy boy, billy boy? It's important to make sure that the woman can cook, right guys? Can she make a cherry pie, billy boy, billy boy? Can she make a cherry pie, charming billy? She can make a cherry pie quick as a cat can wink an eye. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. How old is she Billy boy Billy boy how old is she charming Billy three times six and four times seven 28 and 11 she's a young thing and cannot leave her mother now you do the math she was 85 years old <laughs> just a young thing that can't break the dependency on the parents and in 85 she still can't break that dependency understand that many marriages are damaged because either parents won't let their children leave or children refuse to leave and the dependency back on dad and mom can sow seeds that hurt the unit of a new family Standing on their own two feet, building a life and a family for God. So, the first principle is, you must leave. There has to be a broken dependency on parents. There's a second key. The second key is, and shall cleave unto thy wife. Cleave, to cleave is, speaks of a permanence. It's like a bond, it's like a glue, it's like an epoxy. Do you remember the old, the uh, not, not so old, the uh, movie uh, that church down in Albany, Georgia, wherever that has produced a number of, of uh, feature films um, and I think they just uh, presented their last one, I haven't seen it yet, but I think it was just released this last fall or winter. Fireproof. And, and you may remember that Fireproof was all about a broken marriage. It's all about a a husband and wife that was was trashed, it was gone, it was over. And, And a Christian at work where the husband of the family worked illustrated the permanent dependency between a husband and a wife in marriage by taking a salt and pepper shaker and epoxying them together. And then said to the husband of the marriage that was about to fall apart, you can't separate those without breaking them. That's the picture here in the second key to God's design for for family life in humanity. There must be a cleaving, a permanent dependency that nothing will ever cause To separate. It's a bonding. A gluing. A joining together of two people. It requires the commitment of the will. Because life is never easy. It's hard enough for a. Individual sinner. To not have problems in their life. But you take two individual sinners. You put them in the same house. Interacting with each other every day. And you multiply the potential Of division and difficulty and hardship and so it takes a real commitment of the will we're gonna find solutions it's a commitment to problem-solving rather than escaping it's a commitment to getting in the Word of God and finding out the solution rather than giving up on God's solutions and breaking what God intended to never break. This cleaving together is a permanent bond, it's a permanent epoxy, it's a permanent dependency. And when two people enter into marriage with a commitment of their will... To be able to find the solutions and answers to the struggles that we have. Divorce is not in our dictionary. It's not an option. We will get into the word of God. We will get close to God. We will find the solution to the problem. We won't escape the problem by splitting up. It's a commitment to permanence in the team. Now, I want you to notice something about this cleaving together. When God said of the, the creation, in which, which included the, the man and, and, and woman in chapter one, when he got to the conclusion of all that, he said, It's very good. Notice that when God created family, there were no children. All a family needs to be a family is a husband and a wife, committed together, committed to permanence, with wills to find solutions rather than escape. And when you have a husband and a wife permanently bonded together, you have a complete family. Children aren't necessary to make a family a family. God could have created family with a different set of people. He could have created a woman. He could have enabled her biologically. He could have created her biologically in such a way that she could reproduce without a man. He could have created a woman. She could have had a child. And then the mother-child relationship could have been the foundational team. Of God's plan of what a family is. But that's not what God did. God could have created two men. Or he could have created two women. And said that's the foundation of what a family is. But that's not what God did. God created a man. God created a woman. He said you have got to leave father and mother in subsequent generations. You've got to cleave together into a permanent Unbreakable bond. And that's what family is. And that must be the priority relationship. If when children are added to the family. A parent-child relationship becomes the priority relationship. And the husband-wife relationship is no longer the priority relationship. Eventually, the family suffers. And over and over and over again, a husband and wife have looked across the table at each other after their kids have all grown up and left the home. And they looked at, across the table and they said, who are you? Because for the last 20, 25 years, my life has been consumed with my children. And I don't even know who you are. As my husband or as my wife. I want you to understand that in first principles, when God created the family, he did not create a family with children. He created a family with a husband and a wife. And that's the priority relationship. Now, God blesses that relationship and brings children and adds children to an already existing family. And they multiply the joy of the family. They multiply the blessing of the family. They they bring into the family riches. And they'll be in the family for maybe 18 years, maybe 20, 25 years. And then they will separate and break the dependence on their dad and mom and create a new family. That's how God designed family to operate. And we love it when God brings children into our homes And we welcome them to an already existing family. And we provide for them and protect them and train them and mentor them and love them. But if we allow them to become the priority relationship, we may be sowing seeds that hinder the priority relationship of husband and wife. So the cleaving is not between a parent and a child because the children will be there and then they will break the dependency and leave. But the husband and wife will be there until death separates them. There's a third key. This third key, I think, is profound in God's design. The Bible says that A man is to leave. There's a broken dependence to the parents. He's to cleave. There is a new permanent dependence that will never be broken in the ideal and plan of God. And then the verse says, they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh. This speaks of Of a growing process. It speaks of a progression. They shall become one flesh. They shall move. Down the road towards. A oneness. In which eventually. They'll second guess each other. One will say something. The other will say. I was just thinking that. They've been around each other so long. They have. Grown into a oneness. In which. They are so much alike, they think alike, they know each other so deeply and so profoundly that they have become, this is a progressive dependence. God's first principle design of the first family involved a broken dependence from a previous generation. A permanent dependence on two people that doesn't happen overnight, it's a progressive dependence. And the longer they live together, the deeper the relationship, the more mature the relationship, the more profound the relationship as they grow into a, a, a oneness that is just profound and amazing. God joins two into one. They leave the wedding altar known by the same name and they begin a lifelong process of becoming one person, one flesh, mentally, physically, in, in, in so many ways, the progression of their lives together. How, how has that lifelong process been working? Do you still do everything together? You know, some couples get to the point where they may live in the same house, but that's about all they do together. They don't eat meals together. They don't sleep in the same room. They don't do anything together. They exist as two people under the roof of a common structure. But they are not one. That's dangerous. Because the third key to a family as God designed it is that in the process of living life, Those two people will become one flesh. They will progress in the relationship together. They'll eat together, sleep together, take vacation together, go on walks together. They'll they'll enjoy being together. They they love spending time together with one another. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 40, was it 7? We crossed 47, didn't we? 47 years this past summer. And and you know what? I love being with Betty. I thoroughly love being with Betty. Whether it's just riding in the car together on a country road, whether it's sitting on the couch together watching reruns of Andy and Barney. I don't care what we do. I don't care what it is. I love being in her presence and her being in my presence. For years, when Betty was away or she was getting ready to go away or was away and we were talking on the phone, I would sing to her the first couple of lines of Bobby Vinton's 1964 hit, Lonely. And I'd start singing on the phone or I'd start singing to her, Lonely, I'm Mr. Lonely. I have no body to call on. And she would say what you're thinking right now. <laughs> I love being with Betty. I enjoy being with her, doing just about anything. I just about anything. That's God's purpose in a marriage relationship, that life grows us closer such that the dependency that began at the marriage altar when we were glued together under the direct instruction of God, that that dependency has progressed for 47 years And it's more precious now than what we could have ever dreamed it would be back then. That's God's key to a family the way He designed it to be. What He wanted it to be. And then God added some kids later on in Adam and Eve's family. He added the kids and and life went on and then they Had kids and they had kids and parents and grandparents and humanity spread across the face of the earth. But when God created family, He did it specifically and purposefully for the good of humanity and for His glory. And that's what we've just examined in His Word today. Be careful about growing apart. Be careful about developing a life apart from your spouse where you have your friends, she has hers, you go do your thing, he goes, does his thing. Be careful about developing a in your marriage because that sows the seeds of failure of a family as God designed it. Break the dependency, become dependent on one another, and then progress in that dependency as long as you both shall live you know let me let me close by noting that god uses marriage relationship as a profound picture of our salvation relationship before salvation something just wasn't good about our lives something just wasn't complete about our lives And every time the gnawing guilt of sin left us awake at night, we knew something wasn't right about our lives. And then when someone brought to us the story of salvation, how that we could be joined together in a union with our creator that he created in Adam and Eve for the purpose of Enjoying a union with God when He came and walked with them in the Garden of Eden and they talked and they enjoyed fellowship together before sin entered in the picture. And all of a sudden, when I hear the gospel message, I realize that God's design is for me to, to live in union with my creator. And God, my creator, solved the problem of my sin that broke that relationship, that broke that division. And when I bowed my head and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me from my sin, God made me complete. God entered into my life in a degree and and, and to to a degree in in which there was it was good, there was completeness. Uh, He gave me his name. I'm now known as a Christian, a a Christian. He gave me his name. He provides and protects me. And his goal is the same as the goal of a husband for his wife. Let me read it to you. As they merge together, the me and Jesus Christ in salvation, me and Betty in a human marriage relationship merged together in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. And for all the years that I've been saved, over 50 years I've been saved. When I became united with Christ in a spiritual marriage, so to speak. And he gave me his name and he began to protect me. And provide for me. He also began to work. To sanctify me. He began to work on my rough edges. Still is. He began to work in my life. So as I could eventually become just like he is. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And that amazing work of Jesus Christ in my life. Is used to picture my work in Betty's life. To give her my name. To protect her. To provide for her. To love her as Christ loves me. How does Christ love me? He loves me enough. To help me overcome my flaws. He he loves me enough to point out my sins. And in the marriage relationship. We exist to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And help each other. To become what we could have never been without that person. It's great to have that relationship with God. That's primary. That's salvation. And that's a life of sanctification. It's also great to have a picture of that brought down into humanity. In the relationship between a man and a woman. Where that same. Those same Pictures become real in our lives. I hope your marriage is like that. If it's not, I hope you'll take these three keys and pray about them this week. Look at them, think about them, talk about them. Start spending time together again. Get a babysitter and go out on dates again. Go do things to build the priority relationship in the family again. Give yourself to building a progressive dependency upon your spouse that will get sweeter and sweeter as the years go by.